Today I welcome David Harkin, CEO and founder of 8 Billion Ideas. In this episode, I discuss the need for entrepreneurship on the curriculum, future skills, the importance of adaptability, and future school thinking. Growing a business is, is tough. You know, what you're doing is living and breathing your kind of mantra and actually the DNA of what your business offers the young people on this planet. Tell us about that journey and what, what have been the hardest things that you and Jenny have had to overcome to get to where you are now? Because it can't be, it never is just plain sailing. No, it isn't, right? A lot of people's views of entrepreneurs are you, you kind of celebrate entrepreneurs on, on television and, and that's not the case, right? Entrepreneurship has its highs and it, not necessarily lows. It can be lonely at times, right? Because you're running that organization and, you know, we've had some incredible highs and we've had, you know, last March was probably some of the darkest, most challenging days of my, my life, let alone running the business and having to think our way out of the situation. But the one thing that, you know, entrepreneurs have is a bit of a stubbornness about them. I find they're stubborn and great listeners. They listen well because if they're prepared to adapt their, their business and pivot, they will do if need be. But they're also stubborn that they will find a way when sometimes the light might be quite small. I think the perception of entrepreneurship is, is wrong. We've got to change it. We've got to get the right role models into children in the UK and around the world because you know, you, you've got to roll up your sleeves. It's hard work. You do have to be relentless. You do have to take calculated risks. It's not about silly risk taking. It's about taking risks, but also not kind of sometimes losing that first mover advantage you've got to be prepared to take the jump so you know we've got different scars from over the years we went on a crowdfunding platform we, we raised that we remortgaged the house to put cash into the business back in 2016 um, which not many people know about but that was obviously a big decision and uh, you know Jenny who's my co-founder you know and my wife our, our decision there was like this is a real life MBA right <laughs> you know we're going to back ourselves here and we're going to learn and that would be our investment in ourselves and luckily it was the it was the right decision. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's great seeing you go from strength to strength. You know, it's, I think with entrepreneurs, you back yourself and you have to have optimism. You know, it can't just be based on hope. You know, it has to be founded on something else. And I think optimism drives a lot of that resilience and that growth mindset that you go, do you know what? It doesn't matter where I'm, I will find a way. And people don't see it. They, they, they see the end point. They see where you're at and go, wow, you know, you're really successful. Wow. You know, you've done a great job and you forget actually. And I forget when I go back and you talk about the, the growth scars of a business to get to the point you're at now, there were so many, very, very hard times. As you know, Simon, no business is built overnight. Everybody sees, you know, you look at someone like Joe Wicks, great example, wherever everybody goes, he's an overnight success about what's happened in the last 12 months. No, he's, he's worked his socks off over the last 10 years, right? And got himself into that position. No business is self-made. It's a collection of people working incredibly hard. And I genuinely believe it takes a decade to build a good business. Because if you last a decade, you've probably gone through a crisis or two. And if you come out of that crisis, you've often redefined yourself, redirected the business for new opportunities and new problems to solve. And that's the overnight success. You know, show me an entrepreneur who's not built a global business without at least seven, eight years behind them to, to get to where they need to be. Yeah. I mean, you talk about your co-founder first and then your wife second. 24-7, two young boys, you know, um, in a journey committed, you know, financially, emotionally, you know, time-wise into, uh, you know, it's a full-time gig for you both. That must stretch you at times. How do you get the balance 
It does. It does, Simon. You know, it's me and Jenny, you know, she's my, she's my best friend, first wife, second co-founder, third, I'd say, uh, is how we operate. We're very different, but our values are completely aligned, right, in the way that we work. We're very disciplined about when we, we do and don't talk about work, but it, it is a 24-7 operation, right? You find yourself, when you're so passionate about your business that you're dreaming about it, you're thinking about it as you're brushing your teeth. It just is you it's part of your, your DNA but you've also got to unwind when you possibly can so Jenny and I we've made a, you know Sundays we literally put the phones away don't talk about the business at all you have to find little things to, to move forward but you, you chuck in the boys into the situation you chuck in homeschooling you chuck in all of that you know we've got two and a four year old uh, two lads who just just relentless right and then lack of sleep but you, you know what I think it's you know, I'm not going to lie to you. There's days where there's times where it's tough, right? I'll be on a high, Jenny will be on a low, or Jenny will be on a high, I'll be on a low. You quickly dust yourself down. You remind yourself why you're doing it. If you have that greater purpose and long-term vision, you just got to take a step at a time. Some days feel like five steps forward, one step back, or four steps forward. But as long as you're moving forward, then that is the key. And I remember Jenny sending me the quote, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter how fast you're running or how walking, you've just got to keep calling. You've got to keep moving forward. And, and that was kind of the story of probably middle of last year. Yeah. And I think that's still the story now for a lot of businesses. I mean, certainly for me day by day, it's have I made a positive step forward? It doesn't have to be big. You know, I've got to step back sometimes from ambition and you've got to kind of put your both feet into reality and go, look, you know, this is where you want it to be, but look at the external factors that are affecting things. You know, I come out every day going, did I make a marginal step forward? It wasn't a forward step. And, that, and that's all I'm asking from everybody in my organization too, because you've got to recognize the environment that you're in. I want to talk about the business because I've known you since you started the business. Um, I remember when you were entrepreneur in residence at Surbiton. I always loved your, your reason for doing this and the, the premise that, you know, based on the population, that everybody has a great idea, right? The problem is no one has a platform. No one knows how to get it out there. No one really knows how to develop it. And there's no curriculum or education that's going to enable you to develop ideas in the entrepreneurial way. I was always taken by that and, and your energy and passion for, for driving this. You have a tagline of we teach what they don't learn in school. Why don't young people learn this in school? Yeah, well, firstly, let me applaud all of those people in education, right? You know, I've always felt the burden on schools is, is quite frankly too much. The expectation is too much. If you actually look at our head teachers, they are running a business, but they're in the business of world-class education, no matter what school they're in. That should be what the, the setup should be. You have to have a solid foundation of the school to be able to deliver quality education. So we're asking our head teachers, and it filters down, to be a CEO, to manage the emotion of their staff, their parent community, and then the teaching of their, their young people. There is so much to do, right? So it's not a case of schools don't teach this necessary. It's the fact that they just have so much. We're putting so much pressure on them to, to make these children perfect when they're 18. And we've got to lower the burden. We've got to find other ways of educating them. At the end of the day, a child is only at school for 15% of their waking hours. There is 85% of other time that we can educate young people. And that's where we really, really want to help. So I think the reason why entrepreneurship, if you take that, or indeed career education, which we're stepping into now even more, isn't really focused on is because we haven't got a long-term vision for education in the United Kingdom. You know, our decisions are based on governments looking at three to four years or five years tops. You know, Churchill said decisions should be made with a 25 years lens. I utterly agree with it. Unless we have a long-term vision, how can we work towards it? We're just going to keep doing exactly what we do year on year. 
So I believe in a passion-led curriculum system. I believe in looking at the curriculum hard and finding time. The sector doesn't appreciate marginal gains really right from the top, I would say. There is time that we can find in schools. And then if you get that time back, we've got to invest it into more passion-led topics. One of those being entrepreneurship, letting children work on projects, letting them explore, not do it one-off when they're doing young enterprise when they're 17 or 18. It should start from the moment they walk into to a school. So I think it's not taught because it's nobody's fault in education right now. The reason why a lot of these skills that need to be taught are not taught is because nobody has a long-term clear vision for education and we're not working collectively. I mean, do you think that actually it should be more embedded? So rather than you saying we teach what they don't learn in school, part of it is that you need to be supporting them with your great content, your vision and your ideas to actually deliver it as part of the curriculum. So should lessons in entrepreneurship be mandatory within school? Is that a primary or is that in a, in a senior setup or both? Uh, schools produce more entrepreneurs than any other profession. Currently, you've got 15% of the workforce in the UK are self-employed or entrepreneurs. It's not being talked about as much as it should be. So absolutely. But even if it's not, you know, what we've got to remember, it's not about churning out millions and millions of entrepreneurs. There's another term called entrepreneurship, where uh, businesses and organizations, schools included, need entrepreneurs, where you act like an entrepreneur, but within a business or a public sector or uh, organization. So whether it's entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship, you need children to be developing their creativity skills and developing the ability to generate an idea and act on it and learn from it as early as possible. People understand the term entrepreneurship, they get it. But when they hear entrepreneurship, they often think of Peter Jones and Lord Sugar. And they go, we don't need that. Not everybody's going to be it. When they think of entrepreneurship, they should be looking down their high street. Is the first thing they should be doing and looking at every single shop. And behind every single shop is a business owner. That person isn't a business owner. To me, they are an entrepreneur. And this country has millions of them working to create jobs. And it's going to be even more. You're seeing the change in the freelancing percentage as well. You know, a six, seven-year-old is so much more likely to be self-employed than be employed in the future. So it's entrepreneurship, it's entrepreneurship, it's about creativity, I'd say, and it has to be mandatory as soon as we possibly can. Interesting the word entrepreneur and entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial, because you know, I have this discussion with my kids, particularly my elder kids. You know, my, my daughter kind of says, well, dad, you're an entrepreneur. And I go, then I'm entrepreneurial, right? I, I actually don't like the term entrepreneur because I think it's used too easily and readily on lots of things because she says, everybody's an entrepreneur, dad. Everybody, everyone I see on Instagram says they're an entrepreneur. Everyone I see on social media, they all say they're an entrepreneur. I think there's this misguided view of what actually is the DNA of an entrepreneur to be able to kind of label yourself. I think the, the entrepreneur has this glamorous side to it because they see the celebrities, the big power kind of entrepreneurs that have, that have made successful business, particularly around dot-com, particularly around social tech. Um, and then what we see with you know the classics like Richard Branson, obviously Elon Musk is phenomenal. But what, I mean, what, what do you think of that? I would slightly disagree with you there in the fact that, you know, on paper, you are an entrepreneur. You know, an entrepreneur is somebody, you know, I know that you don't like it, but you look at the definition of what it is. It's somebody who's taken risks to create a business. Okay. Some people's businesses are one or two people or self-employed and consultancy, or some people's businesses are, are micro businesses or, or small businesses or bigger. The problem is you've got the celebrity entrepreneur or you've got the entrepreneur, <laughs> the person who... That's so right. What a entrepreneur. I think that's the... I'll be telling my daughter, it's a entrepreneur, love. Entrepreneur, you see flashy suits and the and the whatever it might be. And as I said, there's the highs of entrepreneurship with young people are seeing via Instagram or the celebrities, but they're also not seeing the grit and the resilience that 
that is behind it. It's just the everyday grind. So I think we just have to completely put great role models in front of our people. Those great role models don't need to be famous. They can just be people doing some great things in the towns around us. Um, and just change the perception of what an entrepreneur is. I agree. I think having that rep of self-starters that, that are the definition of an entrepreneur, it's a bit like when schools kind of promote alumni. You know, it's always the notable alumni. It's always the one who's an actor or, or who's become a politician or who's become a poet or they always pick, you know, what's called a notable alumni. Surely every alumni is notable by, by definition of they've all gone on and done something, you know, in whatever field that maybe interests them. So, you know, them being a nurse or actually being a full-time mum. They are their own stories and in their own right. So I think even schools have something to learn about even being able to showcase that every story matters. You don't have to be a multi-million pound business to be successful. You know, enough's enough. And I think when you get to a certain point in life, like me, I'm approaching 50, it becomes more and more tangible. That sense of material worth is not really what it's cracked up to be. If we can educate kids that striving for money is not the drive of an entrepreneur, drive of an entrepreneur is to change the world or to change something in the world to make it better and you enjoy the change. And actually, if material or financial gains come off the back of it, it's a plus. If it motivates you, I think it loses your focus. Utterly agree with you. I think there's a missing term and I don't know what it is yet. There's, there's somewhere between the entrepreneur which sets up a business for financial gain and there's a social entrepreneur which sets up a charity to, to give back. And then there's those people in the middle, right, who set up a business because they want to be self-sufficient. They want to create jobs. They want to have that foundation in their life that they've got that flexibility, but then they want to make an impact. Okay. So I think there's definitely something in the middle. Very few entrepreneurs don't actually start businesses saying, I want to be a millionaire. Right? They don't. They see a problem and they want to fix it. Okay, that's often why they want to start a business and to make an impact. And you know, you should be proud if your business is turning over whatever it's turning over because you've had the courage to make it happen. Sometimes I talk to entrepreneurs and they go, We're only turning over 70 or 80k in our first year. And I was like, You're only. You've had the courage to take that first step and create your business, win your first clients. It's quite extraordinary what you, you've done as a human being. Give yourself a big pat on the back to begin with. And then, yes, of course, we hear the odd story of someone going on and doing some remarkable things, but that's not what young people need. There's a great organization and Edwina Dunley called the Female Lead. Now, Edwina created the Tesco Club Card and she started to go into UK schools, I mean, five or six years ago and started asking teenage girls, who are your role models? And nine out of 10 were saying a Kardashian. And she was a little shocked by it. And she came away with this philosophy was that you can't be what you can't see. And therefore, she went on this march of creating hundreds, if not thousands of stories and collecting of inspirational women from all parts of the sector, like the first female firefighter to walk in on 9-11 and stuff like that. And, and she's got this mission of getting these role models out there. And we need it in every walk of life. You know, when schools are looking at their alumni, be diverse, bring in different stories. Don't just look at success in terms of who's got the best profile on LinkedIn or Instagram. Go for those people with interesting stories because it's the stories which really ignite passion in young people. Yeah. And it's teaching the resilience that, you know, not, not to give up, you know, because I think the, you know, we, we talk about the snowflake generation is a misused term too much. You know, it's, it's easy to slam the generation that's trailing you. My parents would have done the same with my generation, with me and my brothers, you know, you're looking down with those eyes and going, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Oh God, you're not as tough. But again, we look down at, I'm, I'm not going to call them the snowflake. I'm talking the, the alpha and the beta generation, you know, beyond the millennials now who are really adaptable. They actually care more about the planet 
I think, than any generation that's been so far. But they are more adaptable and flexible. We need to teach them that bit of character and resilience that they've got to dig in deep. You can't just go, oh, I can't be bothered. It was too hard. I've got another offer over here. I'm going to do this. How do we teach resilience? Yeah, I agree. They're not a snowflake generation. In fact, I actually think this generation um, is, is quite remarkable, right? They can be so diverse. They're not a brain-lazy generation, I find. Brain-lazy is a term I use when people lean on someone else to solve a problem. This is a generation which has grown up on YouTube, worked out ways of moving forward. There, there is a bit of resilience and grit, but that comes with a bit of experience and a bit of you know getting out there and learning, not necessarily learning your trade there. But we must put ourselves in the shoes of these people. They've lived in an Amazon world where you order something and it could turn up on the same day, right? that's a crazy mindset it's interesting when you look at generation z and the other generations they are so so different and these people can jump into a workforce so a 21 or 21 22 year old could be working with someone who's 60 in a team in a corporate think about how different that person in their 30s 40s 50s was to, to right now look i was at school when the first box turned up and we had one pc as a, as a school let alone a class you know and i'm not a million miles off <laughs> those people coming up like i'm much older than uh, them coming out but i'm not a million miles off their world is so so different i think it's about giving them opportunity and chance okay let's just not assume they're snowflakes let's give them the ability to come in and show what they can do and back them i've got three people in particular in the ages of 18 and 21 not in particular but between those ages in my business who are phenomenal they see the world differently they roll up their sleeves they go from this to that they flip around because they can and, you know, I, I don't think young people should be worried about, about the next 10 years. I think actually we're going to live in a world where there's going to be so much opportunity for them. I think they should roll up their sleeves and, and grasp it with both hands. No, no, I completely agree. Yeah, I can't wait to see the, the next generation coming through. It's important that organisations like yours support schools and education because, you know, we know that employers are not looking for for grades. They're really not. Um, they're not looking for what people went and where they went to university. You know, they want skills. They want to see that somebody's got something about them. Anything we can do with entrepreneurship, learning those skills is an absolute top of the list for me. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I want to talk about Hackathon and I want to talk about the other initiatives that you kind of had to pivot and go, do you know, what? We're, we're going to do these things. So rather than, you know, yes, we do go into schools and you get people to think about different ideas, you've had to pivot and come up with some bigger, wider initiatives that can impact all of education, all of schools to take part. Tell me a little bit about Hackathon and other initiatives that you've run and got planned. One of the things that we did last year was when the pandemic hit, you know, because we've never been and they're so pigeonholed one part of the sector. We've worked with all types of schools all, all around the world. And I found myself in quite a peculiar situation where I was hearing head teachers doing just quite remarkable things. And I felt we had a responsibility to get them all in one place. So that's when we ran our first unlocking education event. Um, and we had a head teacher from every part of the sector come on and talk. We had Nikki Morgan, former Minister of Education, join us, and Alistair Stewart, the broadcaster, host it. And it was a wonderful, unbelievable discussion about what was going on in education. That led on to a second one, which we actually decided to bring industry involved in and LinkedIn and IBM and the startup community as well as an educational lens. And one thing led to another where now we're working closely with Fed, which is trying to set this long-term vision for education. So those things we kind of jumped on to really kind of help and lobby for some fundamental positive change. Everybody wants change, but you've got to be clear on what you want, okay? You can't just go, we need to change, we need to change, we need to change. We need to work it through as a team and be clear on what the changes need to be. That is much more constructive. So that was one thing that we did. And then there's the second thing that we did 
did in the um, in the pandemic was obviously look at new problems and new ways that we could work with students. And we went live. We did live experiences. HomeHack was one of those. We, we, we developed them as the year went on. And then what I realized was actually we had the ability in the summer to, to do that course into 44 countries in the world. We had kids on the same course from Nigeria and the UK because of the same time zone. And when that was happening, I knew that we were really onto something. And we were also watching what Joe Wicks was doing from a PE point of view, that really inspirational PE lesson on TV. And we thought we could do that in the world of entrepreneurship, career education, kind of leveling up. And that's when we were fully committed to building 8 billion ideas, which is going to be this live platform on the 1st of April. But we learned that to do online education, you've got to see it as a show. You've got to see it as a performance. It shouldn't be written as a lesson plan, but as a what is your script, right? How are we going to really engage those young people who are taking part in this particular lesson? When we did that, our NPS scores, which are our net promoter scores, kind of went through the roof, Simon. You know, the kids were enjoying it so much that we just focused on that and the engagement of the young person behind the screen. Absolutely. It's about an experience and the performance. Why do people tune in to watch certain people? You know, you want to be inspired. You know, you're going to be inspired by a teacher running a lesson plan with slides and, you know, almost taking what they've done in the classroom and putting it online. And that's been probably the biggest weakness of lockdown learning because teachers are ill-equipped, right? They're not equipped. They're, they're great at teaching in the class, but suddenly we've had a complete paradigm shift. And we've now said, look, you've got all these skills. This is how you do it now. You've got to go and do the same thing over here. Do you think more investment needs to be done on teacher training and change the way that teachers are trained and continue to be trained to ensure that A, they have the skills to A, to deliver not just online learning, but the entrepreneurial skills and the adaptability that we expect our kids to have? Well, yeah, you've got 1.3 million people working in education. I don't know the percentage of teachers, but not a single person was trained to teach virtually, right? And none of that was in anybody's training. And then everybody expects everybody to be brilliant on it at day one. Um, so that was the reason why people are behind behind it. And, and, and the thing is, one of my professional coaches said to me, you've got to be, you're either in or on the situation. I think everybody's been so deep in it, nobody's been on it. And you've seen a lot of kind of reaction or to advice without some sustained research about how did you do online learning in the best possible way. I think it's here to stay. I know it's here to stay. I think schools will be and should be moving towards more 24-7 service with support. Teachers will be trained to, to deliver more performances and lessons behind a screen rather than just trying their best in what they're doing. I'm, I'm just hoping that when people reflect, they will see the year in front of us as the opportunity to change education forever. This is the opportunity. It's pathetic if we don't grow it it quite frankly is it is because we've been waiting for it and now we have two things to review what do we like of the world before what do we like about the world now and there is some really good stuff happening in education combine it and build the future and generally change the infrastructure of a school to go service that need because if you do that a child will go through their education they'll end up getting a job and they will be happy simon i'm sure that's the only thing that we all really want for our kids is a young person to get a job or create a job and be happy yeah happy and confident i think confidence is a really important thing because it drives you to believe if you're happy and content in yourself i think that's what my wife and i have always set up for our children it's never been about the grades ever it's why i've got four kids in four schools you know we've chosen the right school for the right child so logistically it might seem like a headache but be honest if we didn't do that we failed as parents i love your ideas and you write about this is the perfect storm we've been talking about it for years you and i've been talking about the future school the future of education you know i've been doing a lot of writing and speaking around this myself 
you know, we've been waiting for this. I'm so worried that when we come out of it, it still would have been too much talk and not enough action. Everyone likes to talk, but no one's really committed to doing it. I think if we adopt your ideas about perform, the inspiration, I've always talked about these super teachers who are inspirational and it could be anybody. It's not necessarily a trained teacher. It could be you, it could be I, it could be someone else, but someone who's passionate, who can inspire not just a few handful of people that can fit in four walls of this classroom, but beyond those boundaries, if you've, as you've proved across country boundaries, geographic, around the world, that has to be the way forward. But there's work to be done. What do we need to be doing to policymakers to drive this change? Well, everyone needs to check out Fed and the work they're doing about the future of education, right? Because what Carl Ward there has made this foundation, and they started pre-COVID, right? Um, and they started having a lot of conversations with people in. And what I loved about what Carl's doing is they were looking outside the sector and bringing people in. They've talked webinars, research, interviews. They've collected hundreds of hours of information. And then what they're doing now is putting it all together in to a consensus view. Now, not everybody's going to agree, but it's not a bad first step about these are the things that do need to change. Everybody can say we need change, but nobody will tell you how. And what they're doing is trying to streamline it a little bit. I did a blog for them the other day about when Toby's 18. So when Toby's 18, it'd be 2034, he's four now, and how I'd love education to be. And I made four or five points, but two things that I, I kind of talked about was, you know, I want him to know what he's passionate about. I want a more passion-led curriculum system, which is allowing a child to explore what they're passionate about. I think it's inexpensive excusable. I think it's fine that an 18 year old might not know what they want to do. 18 year old should know what they are passionate about. Okay. So I want to know that. The second thing is I want more agile organizations. You know, we have to look at how the best businesses, how the best Formula One team, sport teams are set up and schools need to change the foundation of how the school is run. If you do that, what will be the direct consequence of it is the school will find more time. Okay. If it finds more time, the school can be braver with more creative activities and programs. The problem is there's no time in education, but nobody's appreciating that minutes count. They're the two things that I would really hope for. And then you need stubbornness, Simon. I think if collectively the community set a long-term vision, then it's down to passionate education is to get vocal and get vocal and get vocal and get vocal. Okay. And the Department of Education need to align and listen. Okay. It's not about someone's political career. It's about this generation of young people. You know, I think we are living in an amazing country, countless opportunities. We should have world-class schools, but we should have world-class businesses, okay? We should be leading, <laughs> leading the world out of this global recession. The only way you can do that is if you work together and you listen to each other. Both sides need to change and it needs to happen now. It will take time, but we can do it. David, honestly, it's been, it's been a real delight as ever um, chatting. You're incredibly inspiring. I love your passion. It absolutely shines through in everything you say and actually beyond that in everything that you do. I do hope and I know that 8 Billion Ideas is going to be a success. I'll happily support you in any way that I can running this business and for my business. Final question, would you ever start a school? I feel like with 8 Billion Ideas, we're starting that, right? I feel like we have the ability to have millions of kids on our platform so i see us ourselves as i've been asked that question before um i haven't kicked it into touch but i like the idea of a child going to a school and eight billion ideas and i think if we well where we're moving towards is helping put experiences on around the clock so after school every day of every weekend and every day of every holiday 24 7 and i hope in a couple of years time we can look back and we can have tens, hundreds of thousands of young, millions, if not young people going through our programs, going through our experiences, really, really enjoying it. That would be the kind of school maybe would be my legacy. 
You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.